rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody. Welcome to episode 189 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're getting into the latter half of season three of The Adventures of Superboy, the Salkine produced television show, which ran from 1988 until 1992. And this week, I'm covering episodes 15 and 16 of the third season, uh, Day in the Double Life, which is a fun episode in which uh, C. Dennis Jackson forces Clark to outline everything he does that day and uh body swap which sees superboy and lex luthor switch bodies for an episode and all kinds of stuff ensues from there so before we get into the coverage of this week's episode i have feedback to address my feedback this week is from dave mcelvenny dave's writing in on man of screen episode 178 and dave writes greetings mike i definitely think that escape to earth was a better episode than superstar Part of that was that Escape to Earth is the second of a two-parter, but part of it is that Superstar had so much potential, but didn't really come close to achieving that potential. In Escape, it seems to me that the Jor-El and Lara aliens were running a combination zoo and game preserve, since they seemed to be trying to hunt down their specimens, despite saying that Andy and Lana would breed. Obviously, they're not planning to have Superboy as the last of an extinct race breed, so maybe they were planning to hunt him as well. If they'd meant to breed humans, either for their zoo or for a hunt, you think they'd have captured more specimens than just Andy and Lana. It was kind of a shame that by the end of the episode, Superboy would not have any knowledge of his parents or of Krypton. I found it amusing, by the way, that they pronounced it Krypton the way Marlon Brando did. But I didn't mind as much that Lana wouldn't have any knowledge of Superboy's secret identity. Return to status quo was still somewhat common in comics back then, and certainly as we saw in Superman too, in the movies as well. I found Superboy and Lana's mutual statement of love a little strange, though, because at this point in the series, they seem to be long-time good friends than romantic partners. As I said, Superstar seemed to have a lot of potential for its story, but fell short, at least for me. There could have been more discussion about how Superboy and Jessica James, played by Amy Dolenz, the daughter of Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees, led double lives, each concealing another self, and I'd have liked to see how Superboy inspired her to share her truth. As you said, there was a lot that was alluded to in this story, but never was clearly explained either, in the action or in the exposition. Missed opportunities, I guess. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I agree with Dave on just about everything he said and about these uh, two episodes. When he refers to uh, the alien zoo as kind of a combination of a zoo and a game preserve, I don't believe they were really planning to hunt Andy and Lana. I think they were planning to hunt Superboy, but I do believe that Superboy frustrated their plans somewhat and that's kind of what led to what it led to i think they really only wanted superboy but took andy and lana to uh maybe to keep him under control i mean for as good as part one of this was i think the second half just became kind of a you know just that an escape to earth it was things needed to happen to get them to earth i found the first part of this 
abandoner is far more compelling than the second half, which happens a lot during two parters. I mean, I mean, this is really a story over two episodes. Not really a hard part one and part two, like something like Roads Not Taken or Battle of Bizarro. This is more of, like I said, a two part story in the sense where the stories of each episode are very distinct. But while there's a clear dividing point, they do form a whole. And though I didn't mind Lana returning to uh, not knowing Superboy's secret identity. And you're right, Dave, uh, TV and movies did tend to return to uh, status quo. There's something to be said for not breaking the toys when you're allowed to play with them. The comic storytelling was a little more modern in the sense that characters were developing and stories were continuing. So the status quo was a little more in flux. But, I mean, definitely starting with the Bronze Age, DC finally started to let the characters develop a little bit instead of just kind of being stuck in time for better or for worse as they were during the Silver Age. And as far as the uh, Lana and Superboy's kind of mutual statement of love being a little strange, while it's true that at this point in the series they seem to be more longtime good friends than romantic partners. Yeah, that's true. It's no secret that Lana wanted them to be romantic partners. But I think the event of this story, in a sense, this Superboy and Lana are going to die here. They know that they're not going to continue beyond this point. So at this point for them, because remember, the fact that they seem to be more longtime good friends is probably because of Superboy's choices. At this point, you know what? There's nothing is lost for either of them by admitting the truth. And we know he loves Lana because, but he'll just never act on it because he's Superboy. So that's really all I've got on that episode. Uh, Superstar, I agree. It had a lot of potential, but fell short. I uh, did not make the connection between uh, Jessica Jessica James' actress, uh, Amy Dolan's, and uh, be the daughter of uh, Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees. There were a lot of parallels between Superboy and Jessica James, and overall this episode was just unsatisfying. You know, for as much as we bemoan exposition, if the action of the story is not going to inform you of what you need to know, then the exposition has to do it. And that episode just failed miserably, missed opportunities. You know, I felt for Superboy, but he gets Jessica to a point where she's going to admit her truth, but we never find out what that truth is. So just overall an un satisfying story so that being said i'm gonna take a quick break play a podcast promo and when i come back a day in the double life hang around folks okay so a new podcast needs a new promo i mean how do i start i'm j david weeder you may know me from the internet i didn't invent the internet but the internet was invented for me no that's way too egotistical uh it's got to be awesome it's got to catch everybody's attention also tell people what the show is about so first things first high energy pop music from the 80s Hi, I'm J. David Weeder, here to tell you about my new podcast, Spockward, a Star Trek podcast where I will talk about Star Trek twice a month. I guess, I guess that's pretty much it. Wow, it feels like there should be something more there, something grand and something epic. It also has to sum the show up, but I don't want to sound desperate. Maybe I should try another take, but this time there needs to be some epic epicness to it. Let's try this. In a world. Oops, 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 let me try that again. In a universe replete with Star Trek podcasts, one guy will challenge the status quo by boldly talking about Star Trek on the first and third Sunday of every month. Yeah, I probably had it right the first time. Spockword, a Star Trek podcast on the first and third Sunday of every month at spockword.com or wherever podcasts are accessed.
It's Star Trek fandom with a heaping helping of social awkwardness. Spockward. You get it? Yeah, you get it. See you at Spockward.com. Weeder out. Did I really just say Weeder out? Come on. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start things off with A Day in the Double Life, episode 15 of season 3. Original broadcast date was January 26, 1991. This episode was directed by David Nutter, written by Stan Berkowitz and Paul Steubenrauch. Guest cast, Allison Beasley as Agent Harris, Tom Kachalakos as Agent Keller. I am probably butchering that quite a bit. Jeff Moldovan as the leader, Billy Gillespie as the cop, Bill Painter as the traffic cop, Jesse Stone as Eddie, Cart Compion as the man, Jack Carroll as the hunter, Barry Cutler as Doug, Dan Fitzgerald as the sheriff, and Allison McKay as the farm woman. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A car containing two men and a woman rips into a junkyard to evade police. After Superboy arrives to help apprehend them, he sees the time of one of the cops' watches, then hurriedly flies away. At the bureau, a woman and a man, Harris and Keller, argue as Clark arrives late with Jackson's sandwich. I told you last time, it's the last no, time no, I'm no, going no, to lunch no, no, no. Why? Why? You don't like Chinese? Where is Kent with my pastrami on rye? Stuffed pork is one of the most wonderful meals ever invented. I don't How believe do you those advertisements. Like You've seen them? Oh, uh, fine. Uh, I, I, I can't I, believe you. What, what, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? What? What? I want something healthy. Oh, the health of the best of what they serve you grass. Here's your sandwich, sir. I'm sorry for the wait. I sent you across the street over an hour ago. What took so long? I had a little emergency. An emergency? What kind of an emergency? What are these little emergencies that you keep running off to? Family problems? Emotional problems? Well, no, no, sir. You know what this is? It's a diary. The kind lawyers keep. It divides the day into 15-minute segments. Tomorrow, I want you to write down everything that you do, and then at quitting time, you turn it into me so that I will know exactly what it is that you do with your day. Unless, of course, you're the kind of a person who would lie. No, sir. No, I didn't think so. Tomorrow night, I will know everything there is to know about you. The next morning, Clark wakes up and smashes his clock when the alarm sounds, starting his log entries for the day. Entry number one. 6.45 a.m. Woke up. Need to replace clock radio. Again. Seven AM. Took shower and shave. Got dressed. Made some coffee. And read the paper. As he goes to catch the bus, he helps an old man with some groceries that he dropped. As a result, he misses the bus. 731. Missed the 730 bus. 732. Found alternate means of transportation. This leaves him with no other choice but to change the Superboy into an alley and fly to work. He arrives to the Bureau, followed by Harris and Keller arguing again. Jackson reminds Clark to be in his office with the journal at 5 p.m. Matt asks Clark over to his desk and hands him some tickets to a benefit ceremony that night. He goes upstairs to try and ask Lana to go with him. Good morning, Lana. Hey, Clark. Looks like it's going to be a nice day, huh? Mm-hmm. 
You know that benefit Matt was talking about? Sounded like fun, huh? Not too often you get to go to something like that. I was warning if you weren't free enough. Somebody's going to get killed. Pardon? Look. But the confrontation is interrupted by some car accidents on the street below. Clark sneaks out to check it out. While on the street, the cop is haphazardly directing traffic and is nearly sandwiched by two cars before Superboy stops them. Superboy notices the man is wearing foil under his hat, to which the quote-unquote cop replies, saying he keeps the voices out. Since the man is obviously schizophrenic, Superboy removes him from the street. After helping him to the sidewalk, Superboy saves an old lady from being hit by a delivery truck as she crosses the street. 758. Helped an old woman cross the street. At the bureau, Harris and Keller are arguing again. How could you possibly forget to do the reports? Probably brain damage from working with you for too long. <laughs> you want brain damage? Keep it up. Is something wrong? You, you bet, bet there is. is! What's bothering you two this time? He was supposed to fill out our C-29 forms, and he didn't. Now we can't go out in the field. I would have filled them out, except somebody didn't give them to me until five minutes ago. Somebody could have asked. And somebody could have offered. Stop it! I mean, I'll do them. Great. Thanks, Clark. I'm glad somebody around here is reasonable. Where are you headed? Out near 262 in the interstate, a pilot spotted another one of those circles in a cornfield. Any idea who's doing it? Or what's doing it? Nobody knows. Be careful, okay? I'm driving. You drove last time. I'm driving. You're driving me nuts is what you're doing. Last time you drove, you got a ticket. I'm worried. Me too. Anything could be out in those cornfields. I'm worried about the two of them driving in the same car together. Oh, the answer's yes. Yes? Um, the benefit tonight? I heard you before, but I didn't get a chance to answer. You didn't ask anyone else, did you? Good, I'll be looking forward to it. Me too. Did you see what Superboy did out there? Oh, uh, no, I missed it. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, I'll see you after work. There you are. I need you to watch the front desk for a couple of hours. But uh, Harris and Keller just gave me these. You can do that later, right now. An old man brings in trash can lids, claiming it's a spaceship. Time wears on as Clark deals with a number of people with bizarre contraptions trying to turn them into a story. 10.30 to 12.30. Watch the front desk. Met a multitude of interesting people. Afterwards, he overhears a phone call to Jackson saying that Harris's and Keller's car was found on the side of the road burned out with no sign of them. Jackson tells the staff, and Clark is frustrated when he tries to sneak off, but is stopped by Jackson. He takes Clark to the storeroom where he wants to put away the box loads of case folders into file cabinets. Clark uses his speed to start, but is interrupted and slowed down when Doug, a co-worker, is sent in to help. 1.30 p.m. Started cataloging crates. 4 p.m. Finished. Thanks to Doug. There's still no sign of Harris and Keller, so Clark makes like he's going to purchase some index cards that he promised a co-worker to cover his absence. As Superboy, he flies to look for them and follows their arguing with his super hearing and lands at outer plane sight. Harris breaks a heel and falls, and Keller helps her up. They stand there, staring at each other. Hiding behind some trees, Superboy impatiently uses his super breath to blow Harris into Keller's arms, and then they kiss. 4.32 p.m. Did a small favor for some friends. Clark arrives back at the bureau with index cards in hand and nearly forgetting to put on his glasses. After yelling at Clark again for being late, Jackson gets a call from Keller, saying that he and Harris are taking a month off for vacation, 
although nobody makes the connection about the two of them. After hanging up the call, Jackson sees it's almost 5 p.m. Clark uses his speed to finish up the paperwork before Jackson comes and gets him. Clark, are we still on? I'll meet you at the club around 5.30, okay? Okay. Sure, but what? Can't we just go from here? Can't! That's why. Shaved. Made some coffee. Missed your bus. Helped an old lady across the street. <sighs> Kent, now I know the truth about you. You do? You have the world's most boring existence. You ever consider getting a life? I'm trying. I'm really trying. After being dismissed, Clark is going to meet Lana until someone frantically runs in, saying a water main is ruptured outside. Somewhat annoyed, Clark removes his glasses to go make his change. Meanwhile, at 5.45, and Lana waits for Clark at the club. At 7.05, Clark arrives, sees the evidence that Lana was there, as he picks up a glass that she drank from. Disappointed, he leaves and calls it a night. 7.05. Went home. Spent the night reading. Of course, we know Clark has a far more interesting life than C. Dennis Jackson will ever know. I mean, this episode is fun. I could definitely see in modern storytelling how this would be called a filler episode, but I really hate that term. Every episode has a purpose, even if it's just to pad out the episode count, because the syndicator was expected 26 episodes and the show had to deliver 26 episodes. And sometimes you get an episode like this that there's no villain. It's just a fun story done a different way. And there is definitely nothing wrong with this. And it plays with one of the things that Clark Kent runs into is he disappears. I mean, especially Clark being an intern here at the Bureau, it's his job to be there eight hours a day. So it is kind of interesting to see how he disappears so often from a place where he's expected to be at is. It's a lot easier as a reporter to leave the office. You just say, I have to go out and cover this or meet a source or do this, do that. And there are a whole multitude of reasons why you're not in the office. And honestly, if you're a halfway decent reporter, you're not in the office very much, to be honest. So this episode starts with a car driving into this junkyard and Superboy follows these three cooks into the yard. You know, they drop a car on Superboy with the electromagnet and these guys are celebrating. Now, do they really think? That that stopped Superboy? Of course it didn't. So these guys were arrested. Superboy sees the uh, cop's watch, and he gets this panic look on his face. You never really see Superboy panic at all, but he's panicking here. And he flies off. Apparently, Clark is late bringing back Jackson's lunch to the Bureau. Apparently, it took an hour for Clark to uh, bring back Jackson's pastrami sandwich. Clark said he had an emergency uh, on the way out. You know, sometimes the deli line is slow. I'm not sure if a deli line is an hour slow, but it's one of those things. If I saw a line like that, I'd just turn around and walk right out. But then again, I'm usually buying my own lunch and not uh, someone else's. Clark disappears quite a bit. So Jackson wants to know exactly where he goes all the time, which forms the basis of this episode. Where does Clark go? Of course, we know that Clark is turning into Superboy and taking care of that business as he needs to. And Dennis gives a little smirk at the end. By the end of the day tomorrow... He'll know everything about Clark. And as a viewer, we most certainly hope not. So just from the first few minutes, it just seems like a fun premise right off the bat for this episode. 
I'm sure it would have been something if Clark didn't have any emergencies the next day, if he was just able to sit at the bureau and uh, do his job. You know, I wonder if he has any days like that where he just gets through the day and nothing happens. I mean, this just seems like the type of day where everything goes wrong. I mean, let's just go through the day and I'll tell you what I'm talking about. So Clark gets up at 645 and smashes the alarm clock. Apparently, it needs to be gentler with these things. I tend to smash my alarm clock, too, at 645. I don't like hearing it. Obviously, I should really get myself an alarm clock because the one on my phone does a very poor job of waking me up in the morning. Fortunately, I have children who take care of that for me. So the show did the uh, heat vision uh, shaving bit, which became very popular in the uh, in the post-crisis comics. I don't believe Superman's hair grew and he needed to shave in the pre-crisis comics. I could be wrong. You know, I like that touch. It's something that's right out of the comics, which is, like I said, a new thing out of the comics. So we're uh, getting uh, the narration of Clark's diary and uh, uh, Zappa Heat Vision. He boils his coffee water. I wish I could do that with my uh, tea in the morning. Sometimes it feels like it takes that kettle forever to, to boil. And when Clark says he reads the paper, he certainly does read the newspaper. Cover to cover at super speed. Talk about binge reading. I'm not sure that the paper is that interesting, but there it is. And I must say, Clark has got a pretty nice apartment for this college student. So it's one of those things, you know, they keep saying that he's an intern at the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters. There's, I don't know where he gets his apartment from or where he gets the money to pay for it. But I've said this before. It seems like he's at the Bureau far more often than a typical intern would be. You know, my internships are only a day, maybe two a week. For Clark and Lana, this seems like a full-time job. And like I said, Clark's apartment is very spacious. So here's Clark's first emergency. He missed the bus. But you know what? When you can fly to work, you don't even need to bother with the bus. And uh, Clark has arrived at work early. At first, I thought he arrived at work at 9, but uh, but he gets there a little earlier. Uh, Jackson is uh, micromanaging Clark. And uh, Clark makes this comment about uh, Jackson's micromanaging as a government official concerned about how the taxpayer's money is spent. So, yeah, I don't think Jackson's that concerned about the taxpayer dollars, to be totally honest. So now, because this is... Uh, Report everything you do today, Day. There's uh, some guy uh, doing something in the middle of the street, doing his best to get cars to crash into each other. It looks like a mime at first. He's just kind of moving around and trying to direct traffic, and he's basically directing cars right into each other. And I do like that final shot of Superboy landing in front of the cars. He stops one with one hand, one with the other to keep them from a head-on collision. And now we find that the guy doing his performance art in the street is wearing a tinfoil hat. So... He is using that to keep the voices out. Well, Superboy's going to get him out of the street. And also, right after this is happening, an old woman nearly wanders in front of a bus. You know, It just seems to defy the law of averages that all these things would happen at once. So now here's Clark uh, mediating uh, this problem between two co-workers who apparently have mixed uh, business with pleasure and uh, it didn't go very well. They're bickering like an old married couple. And eventually, Clark just yelled, Enough! And that's the first time I've ever heard Clark, Gerard Christopher's Clark yell. I'm not even sure I've ever heard his Superboy yell, but this is probably the rawest emotion you've ever seen out of this character. And yeah, that shuts up uh, Harris and uh, what's his name for at least a few minutes. And uh, oh, by the way, as a side note, even though Clark didn't get to uh, ask Lana to go to the benefit at the club after work, Lana says she'll go. So now, much to Clark's chagrin, he's manning the front desk. And this is where you get all kinds of craziness. There's, uh, one guy brings in some trash can lids. Here's a guy with some kind of bone. There's a woman blowing her hair with some kind of machine. And some guy markered an S onto his chest. Uh, you know, and as this scene goes on, you just see the exasperation on Clark's face. You know, 
I guess the person at the front desk gets all the crazies. And it's that person's job to uh, protect everybody else from having to uh, d- get their day worn down by all this uh, nonsense. Like I said, I just love how Clark is bored and gives them a form. He calls them in his diary note, interesting people. I call them crazy. And the final woman we see is a woman bringing uh, a pumpkin that she says has the face of her late husband on it. Yeah, it's kind of indented. It looks like it has a bit of a face, but Clark just gives her a form to fill out. Probably the first time in this show that Clark is feels like a 20-year-old kid. Just, you know, enough with, the, enough with this stuff. And, you know, even though they, they keep telling me he's interns, he's, they seem to be much more intertwined in into the uh, operations of the Bureau. So now we find out that our warring couples, uh, I think it's Harris and Keller, their car is burned out and they're gone. So that, you know, you hear uh, somebody's car being burned out and they're gone. That's normally a signal for foul play. I remember when I worked upstate between 2006 and 2013, there was a case where they did find a woman's car on the side of the road, burned out, and to this day, they've never found the woman. We expect that. She's long dead, but that's kind of one of those uh, unsolved mysteries of upstate New York. So usually uh, hearing what the the staff at the Bureau are hearing is definitely bad news. And everybody at the Bureau is rightly worried, including Clark, who was going to investigate a Superboy. But Jackson kind of uh, waylays him into uh, putting the stuff away in the storage room. And Clark is vocally frustrated here. He actually lets out a kind of a grunt of frustration. And this is the first time that we're really getting any emotion out of Clark. You know, he's frustrated by having been stuck at the desk for the last two plus hours. And now he's going to be stuck with another project because Jackson has him filing this stuff that apparently hasn't been moved in years. And he was going to do that at super speed so that he could get out and help Harrison and Keller, presumably with Jackson not knowing about it. But Jackson is micromanaging Clark and uh, sends him some help. And... Yeah, that's one of those problems. Once uh, the boss sometimes has you in uh, his or her crosshairs, uh, you're going to get some micromanaging. And that's exactly what Clark is getting today. And it is preventing him from doing a lot of the stuff that he normally does. Fortunately, the business with with Harrison Keller turns out okay, but that's kind of a 1% occurrence that they're okay. 99% of the time, they're not okay. And although he doesn't know it, Jackson just got lucky. So now Doug comes in, and uh, oh my god, if you look closely, it looks like they're wearing the same shirt, he and Clark. The only difference is Doug's costume doesn't have any suspenders. So what could have taken Clark, maybe at most a few minutes, took three hours. And I love the touch at the end of Clark's journal entry, with Doug's help. So Clark, at this point, has found a way to find an excuse for leaving. He has to go buy index cards. So Superboy is flying. He hears uh, Harris and Keller arguing. And the car blew up because Keller tried to fix it. So Keller is not going down as auto mechanic of the year. And I think she said she tried to, He tried. it was a fuel pump issue. Nobody that I know of tries to fix the fuel pump on the side of the road. I mean, and obviously having the car blow up was just for, I don't even want to say it was for comic relief because we don't see it. You know, sometimes, you know, you see a guy fixing a car and it blows up. It can be kind of funny, but nothing funny about this. So the two have their history and, Apparently, the only way they can deal with their history is if they're nasty to each other. It just seems like sometimes two people fall into a pattern, and this is the pattern that they fell into because 
it seems as though there are feelings between them and uh, they're both fighting it and it's causing issues in their relationship. So Superboy just kind of blows Harris into Keller's arms and they kiss and they're happy. Very contrived. And then apparently uh, Clark is so frustrated by the events of the day that he walks into the bureau having uh, forgotten his glasses. Fortunately, that's not a problem when he runs into Blind Eddie, who's, uh, I believe he's running the newspaper stand, you know, kind of like that uh, blind guy in Superman the movie that Otis tries to steal the paper from. If not for his trusty German Shepherd, Otis would have done just that. But Eddie uh, doesn't know any difference if uh, Clark shows up without his glasses on. But as Clark walked by the directory on the wall, he must have spotted it in the glass that he didn't have his glasses on because he kind of freaks out and puts them on really quick. And he was out getting index cards for 45 minutes. Apparently, he had a good excuse about looking for a discount store. You know, trying to save taxpayer money. You would think they wouldn't have to run out for index cards. You'd think there'd be an office manager or something who is on top of that. But not this week. Not in this episode. So we find out the end to Harris and uh, Keller's story about over the, over a phone call with Jackson. Apparently, they both had four weeks of vacation time built up. And they're both taking it together over the phone in the field. Jackson, okay, see you next month. Apparently, there was no other vacation time that he needed to check. It was available. They're taking it. Hope nobody else wants a vacation time in the next month. Maybe Jackson will just absentmindedly approve theirs, too. He doesn't seem like a very attentive manager sometimes. Oh, but, oh by the way, Harris and Keller were out searching for circles in the field, which were made by tractors with broken steering columns. Yeah, that would do it. I wonder if that was actually it or if they just made that up to appease Jackson. Jackson seems like the kind of person, from what we've seen so far, that if you told him uh, mysterious crop circles were caused by a tractor with broken steering gear, he'd be more than happy to just rubber stamp that and move on. So maybe that makes him a typical government official. You know, because if it's anything more than that, he has to do actual work, and he doesn't want to do that. He's got 900-some-odd days until retirement. So to finish up his day, Clark is uh, finishing some paperwork at Super Speed, and at 5 p.m., Jackson shows up for the diary. And Jackson's conclusion is that Clark has the most boring life in the history of boring lives. I mean, really, it's all one day, and anybody can have a boring day. And really, it's only indicative of Clark's work life when you think about it. I mean, from 6.45 to 5 a.m., everything Clark has done has been work-related. And honestly, if I'm thinking about this, the way Clark's day was uh, outlined here, you know, Jackson shouldn't have any complaints about Clark getting index cards in 45 minutes because... Or being anywhere, because I don't think Clark got a lunch hour. So, paperwork is done, the diary's been turned in, and then he's going to meet Lana at the uh, club for whatever that benefit is, and a water main blue, and some guy just ran into the bureau soaked because the water main blue. I mean, honestly, Clark, you probably could have left this to the DPW. And how long does it take what it takes to uh, close a water main? Weld the pipe shut, and then the DPW can do their thing. It doesn't seem as though Superboy needed to respond to that for as long as he did. So, just a day in the life. Hopefully, Lana enjoyed whatever the show was. And this was, a, like I said, a unique episode. No villain, but just a fun episode. And that's kind of all I have to say about it. There's not really a ton to say, but it shows how much Clark Speed can make up for the fact that he has to disappear a lot. But I don't think this is something you could do in an hour-long show. But you know what? This was a fun way to spend 22 minutes. So, with that being said, I'm going to take another break, play another podcast promo, and when I come back, things are going to get a little more serious with Body Swap. Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. 
I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books... We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with Body Swap. Original broadcast date was February 2nd, 1991. My sister's sixth birthday. Directed by David Grossman. Written by Paul Schiffer. Guest cast included Tracy Roberts as Darla, Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Nathan Adler as Dr. Oliver Deland, D. Christian Goshall as Artie, Ken Grant as the dad, Valerie Grant as the mom, Carrie Ann Ryder as the girl, Ryan Porter as the boy, Randy Heim as the burly man, I'm guessing that's the guy who helped Lana out in the parking lot, Kurt Smilton as the guard, Sean McAllister as the jailer, Bob Barnes as the warden, Joe Candelora as the governor, Lamont Lofton as the cop, and Anne Marcella as the newswoman. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A vacationing family loses control of their SUV while driving down the road, and Superboy saves them before they hit a tree. Superboy! I thought we were gonna... How can I ever thank you? Got any cash? No cash, huh? Well, nice car. Engine's good. Consider the death pain full. <laughs> Superboy have bad days too, Dad? As Lana arrives in a parking garage, she runs into Lex Luthor. Lana! Don't scream! Don't scream! I just want your help. I'm not Luthor. I'm Superboy. You're out of your mind. No, it's my body I'm out of. Just give me two minutes. Then you can walk away. Lana, you've got to trust me. Trust? That's ironic coming from you. I need you to listen to me. But I'm not going to force you. Two minutes, then I scream. Fair enough. There was this experiment. I wanted to find out where I came from. A doctor, Dr. DeLand. He used to work with Professor Peterson. He said that he could help me. We were in his lab. And every memory makes a molecular imprint. If I can scan them with electron beams, we might be able to get all the way down to your earliest memories. Maybe find out where you came from. And why I'm here. Ready? Now close your eyes and start counting backwards. 
from a hundred. One hundred. Ninety-nine. Ninety-eight. Ninety-seven. Ninety-six. Ninety... Dr. Delan? for an ego massage. We agreed on a sum of money. Not until I get your notes and the plans for this thing. How can I be sure I'll, I'll get my money? Take my word for it. Getting money's never gonna be a problem for me again. This time our chrome dome friend finally made his date with the electric chair. They tricked me, using my past as bait. And I swallowed the hook. Are you done? Is this the part where you let me just walk away? Bana, all I need you to do is go and see if Deland is still there. I can't go myself. If the police catch me, you'll get what you deserve. When Superboy tries to ask for her help, a repairman, thinking Lana is in trouble, comes over and punches Superboy. Feeling the pain of the punch, he makes a quick getaway to the stairwell. At the bureau, Lana and Matt talk about the possibility about what happened with Luthor and Superboy is true. She looks up the land's record on the computer. Luthor is at his home entertaining Darla with Superboy's body and powers. Come on, this isn't funny. Put me down. What's my name? All right, it's Superboy. Superboy. I like the sound of that. So what are you going to do now? I mean, take over the world or something? <laughs> Maybe. I don't want anyone to start believing Luther when he says he's in the wrong body. So why don't you just get rid of him? Just like that? Not a chance. I want him to feel what it's like to be me. Humiliated. Persecuted. Despised. Then I'm going to see to it that he gets exactly what's coming to me. <laughs> oh, bless. I mean, why wait for that? Do it now. You know, business before pleasure. You may have a point there. So, um, you're gonna, you're gonna do it now? I just said I was. And Superboy never lies. Later, Luthor flies to Lana's place and comes on to her. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to frighten you. That's all right. I've been hoping to see you. Me too. I have saw Lex this morning. Luthor, did he hurt you? No, up? no. 
He didn't hurt me. He only wanted to talk to me. <laughs> talk to you? How about what? Uh, nothing. Lana, whatever he says, you shouldn't listen to him. You have to trust me. Will you do that? Trust? Like always. Because there's something more important I want to talk to you about. A relationship. See, I've been thinking maybe it's time that we should deepen it. Bring it to another level of meaning. Um. What's wrong? I'm just not used to you acting this way. We all have our weak moments. Here's where I'm staying. For when you have one of your weak moments. It's important that you trust me, Lana. You're the one who's always known me best. Trust me. Across town, Superboy goes to Delaney's office and finds him unconscious. A police officer spots him there and gives chase. But Superboy managed to escape by scaling the building. As he hides on the rooftop, Luthor flies down and has a good laugh before turning him over to the police. While in jail, Superboy finds out that Delaney has died. As the police are about to transport him to the state prison to be executed, Lana drives up in an old convertible and helps him escape. Get in! What made you finally believe? I knew you'd never come on to me like that. Like what? They go back to the land's office to collect the plant and how to build a machine to make the switch back. Superboy begins to give up hope about defeating Luthor. What's wrong? Think about it. About what? About everything we have to do going up against somebody with my, with his powers. Listen to me. You think the only thing that makes you a hero is your powers? You said so yourself. When you could have run and maybe escaped, you stayed and tried to help Delane. That's what being a hero really means. It's not what you are, it's who you are. Lana, there's no yes, way we Yes, there can... is. You're in Luther's body. All you have to do is start thinking like you. As he and Darla feast at home, Luthor sees a report on TV that Superboy escaped. Then there's a knock at the door. Luthor x-rays the door and sees that it's Lana, dressed for quote-unquote business. He makes Darla go to the other room while he answers the door. Lana! What a surprise! I decided you were right. It is time to take our relationship to a deeper level. I'm glad. Won't you come in? Hello, Luthor. Oh, I get it. A trap! And how are you going to take me in? Cuffs? That doesn't matter. You killed Dr. DeLand for no reason. No reason? I'm insulted. I'm truly insulted. Delane was the only one that knew about our little switcheroo. And he was the only one who could switch us back. And so you killed him. Of course I killed him. But I had a reason. And now you'll pay. 
And what pray tell could that be? But the dreaded kryptonite? You got it. You have to wake up pretty early in the morning to beat Superboy. Superboy makes a run for it, but Luthor flies after him and he takes him in. At Superboy's execution, Luthor, along with a group of peers, are in attendance. Superboy is being strapped into the electric chair and he tries to convince the warden that it's a mistake. Meanwhile, outside the chamber, one of the officers asks Luthor to pull the switch. The governor enters the room down the hall where Lana is waiting. She plays a recording of Luthor's confession. The governor comes out to the chamber and the governor gives the go-ahead to pull the switch and Luthor gladly does so. Volt of electric current surge through both Superboy and Luthor. Lana comes out to see if it worked. No, never, no! We did it. All you've proven is that brains are better than brawn, which means I can beat you. You better hurry. Once that chair is rewired, you're gonna be its first guest. <laughs> You better watch your back, my friend. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> All right. This episode, you know, it's always fun seeing uh, episodes where kind of a Freaky Friday concept with uh, Superboy and Luthor switching bodies. And it's fun getting to see the actors play each other's parts. It seems I have heard that Gerard Christopher sometimes enjoys uh, kind of getting to stretch his legs a little bit, playing an alternate version of Superboy. And it's uh, fun to watch here. So this episode starts, and this is an episode that I did not have on VHS tape, but I do remember it. It is just that moment at the beginning where Superboy saves the family and takes the gum and says, got any cash? And here's that family on the road, and there's fighting in the car because you don't know how long these folks have been driving, and a car is an enclosed space, and if you're in the car too long, the kids get on each other's nerves, that gets on mom and dad's nerves, and if you're lucky, you don't suffer the fate that this guy suffered, uh, losing control of his car and ending up in the in the trees. So Superboy saves them, at least we think it's Superboy, and uh, like I said, when the dad asks, what are you doing to repay him? He's like, got any cash? Takes a stick of gum and uh, gets in the car. But at least he leaves their them their luggage as he drives off, kind of just leaving his family standing on the side of the road, just absolutely flabbergasted. And uh, when Dad was having his meltdown on the road, he uh, used the excuse that he had a bad day, which doesn't excuse him uh, screaming at his kids for his own frustration. But kind of the the daughter asked, oh, "Does Superboy have bad days too?" I don't know if that's supposed to be a punchline or what, but it is what it is. So now here's Lex Luthor grabbing Lana in a parking garage, and he tells her he's Superboy. And Lana's not buying it. I mean, uh, why would she? Here he is, Lex Luthor, the enemy of everything that's good in this world. He has accosted her, married her, and been abusive, and kidnapped her. And, you know, because, you know, whenever Luthor has a problem he can't solve, he kidnaps Lana. Remember that. He doesn't ask Darla, he just kidnaps Lana. So why would she buy anything that Lex Luthor has to say? And I guess there are no secrets between Superboy and Lana because you would think she can't use the old, well, tell me something that only Superboy would know. I, I was kind of waiting for that, but we, that doesn't happen. But eventually Superboy, who, you know, is uh, appearing as Lex, uh, manages to get two minutes of Lana's time. 
She says, if he doesn't like what she hears, I'll scream. So apparently Superboy wanted to find out where he came from, and uh, this Dr. Dr. Deland is trying to dig out Superboy's mem- oldest memories, which, to be honest, doesn't seem safe, but that's neither here nor there. One thing about this episode is, which I don't mind because it's safe, because sometimes in a 22-minute episode, you got to save time. If there were more time, if this were a 44-minute episode, if Superboy were an hour-long show, and you had 42 to 44 minutes to tell your story, you wouldn't have to do it in this fashion, but you don't have 10 minutes to get Luthor and Superboy to a point where they've switched. So this episode kind of drops us into the middle of the story, and we need the necessary ex- exposition to catch up, and that's what you get within the first three minutes. That uh, And just watching this episode shows me that I don't have to uh, keep an eye on Superboy's costume going forward, because as I mentioned before, when we got to 1991 episodes, his suit seemed a little bit darker, at least the blue did. Now it looks like he's back to the lighter powder blue that he's pretty much been wearing all along. So maybe this episode was filmed sooner and aired later. I'm going to see what his suit looks like, uh, like I said, in future episodes. I mean, for as much as I do like the darker blue, I've always been a fan of a more royal blue costume and uh, make the and make the red and the S pop a little bit more. But it just does seem, it seemed weird when I saw it for the first time. I'm used to the more powder blue at this point. So... What we uh, find out is that Dr. Delaney hypnotized Superboy, and the next thing he knew, he was on Lex Luthor's body. And that, that's got to be horrifying, realizing you're in your own worst enemy's body and then see him in yours. And uh, now that he's got Superboy's abilities and uh, powers, looks like poor Dr. Deland is going to get stiffed. He's not getting the money that uh, Luthor promised him. The only thing he's going to get is abused and dead. So now uh, this gives Gerard Christopher an opportunity to act a little crazy. He always looks like he's having so much fun when he has to play alternate versions of Superboy. And it comes off in his performance. And apparently Lex's plan here is to get Superboy into the electric chair, basically send his own body into the electric chair so he can live on in Superboy's. Probably a better plan than just giving yourself plastic surgery to make yourself into a Warren Eckworth and then force yourself back into hiding because of your own vanity. So Lana's still not convinced when somebody comes up, uh, the synopsis calls him a repairman. It looked to me like he was wearing a karate outfit. And honestly, just from the guy's look, you know, he's got kind of a thin face and blonde hair, and the white, what looked like a karate suit, kind of made me wonder for a moment if this was William Zapka from uh, The Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, but it's not. Just dark, and he was dressed in a similar outfit, and their facial features are similar enough to uh, mess with my eyes a little bit. And uh, I may not have even made that distinction at all if I hadn't been recently watching uh, the Karate Kid films as I turned to a Cobra Kai. I mean, I know I don't need to watch them to figure out what's going on, I've, but I hadn't seen the Karate Kid films in decades, so I wanted to give them a watch through before moving on to the show. But this is not the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai podcast, and I'm not going to do one either. So Lana didn't buy, Le- buy Superboy's explanation, and at least not initially, and he gets away. But she does investigate. She investigates Dr. Deland. And the episode does writing does cover for Clark by saying that he sent her a message saying that he's not feeling well. So even uh, trapped in Lex Luthor's body, Clark can send Lana a message saying uh, he's not feeling well and to cover his absence. So now uh, in Superboy's body, Lex is having fun hoisting Darla up into the air with one arm. She's sitting in a chair and uh, I don't think she's really enjoying this. And Lex says he eventually just drops her when she hits the ground. But here's what it is. Lex's plan is to humiliate Superboy before, like I said, getting him sent to the chair. And like I said, it's always fun seeing two actors get to play each other's roles. And it's interesting uh, seeing Gerard Christopher 
trying to do Sherman Howard's Lex. Although I'm pretty sure that Gerard Christopher got the better of this deal, as uh, the usually very animated Sherman Howard has to be the uh, much calmer and under control Superboy, but he does it well. Yeah, I have no complaints about either one of their performances. I just think uh, Gerard Christopher got the better of the deal. But then again, uh, Sherman Howard has plenty of opportunity to hammer his roll up. So I'm sure he doesn't mind throwing one to Gerard in this case. So now we have an interesting uh, performance here. We have Gerard Christopher playing Lex Luthor <laughs> pretending to be Superboy, which has got to be interesting for an actor. Here you are trying, you're, you're pretending, you know, as an actor, you're pretending to be someone, but now you're pretending to be someone else, pretending to be the person that you're normally pretending to be. It must take a special acting gene to be able to pull that off. And uh, Superboy tries to plant a kiss on Lana, which surprises the hell out of her. She even comments that she's uh, not used to this kind of behavior from him. And she doesn't know where this is Lex yet, but she didn't, doesn't tell him what Superboy told her. And I think with Superboy's strange behavior in her apartment right here or wherever they are, is kind of turning Lana to the truth. So now we have uh, Superboy on the run from the cops and Lex Luthor's body. And obviously he can't be caught here because he doesn't want to be arrested and sent to the chair. So he goes out the window from the land's uh, lab and up a ledge. Not sure how he got up there. He must have just hoisted himself up. And I hope Lex is in good enough shape for Superboy to do all this. I don't want to see Superboy pull a muscle, which would be absolutely embarrassing. But however, I guess he's... Uh, in pretty crappy shape because Superboy wonders uh, vocally if... Doesn't this guy ever exercise? But, you know, I can see him being quite sore. I mean, scaling walls and buildings and hoisting himself a story up onto the roof from the outside is not something most people do normally. So I'm not sure how much uh, regular exercise it takes to get into that kind of shape. But I'm sure Lex Luthor is not. So eventually here, Superboy is caught and arrested and everyone thinks this is Lex Luthor and he's on his way to, to the electric chair and this is where I must realize that apparently Lex Superboy didn't arrest Lex after the event of Rhodes Not Taken for some reason he had him both Lex and Darla right there in Dr. Winger's lab at the end of that when they came back through the portal why wasn't Lex arrested then unknown so Superboy is about to be transferred to the state pen when Lana shows up with a car and actually runs down a cop with this convertible and she springs Superboy. Here we go. Here is this uh, cute 20-year-old intern at a federal agency breaking the uh, world's most notorious criminal out of jail. And there are no consequences for this. Maybe because of what happens at the end of the episode. And Superboy even comments that you're breaking the law. And that helps convince her that he's Superboy. But she does uh, say that and it confirms what I thought is that she figured out who was who when he tried to uh, force a kiss on her. It was Lex's behavior as Superboy that tipped Lana off. So now they're back at Dr. Delane's lab, and uh, Lana's confident they can build the machine, but Superboy is in Luthor's body, probably still sore from his run across the rooftops, and having doubts about going up against himself and his body and having a... Uh, Crisis of confidence, really. I mean, how could they rebuild the machine? How could they do this? How could they do that? But Lana, as he would do for her, Lana is building up his confidence and kind of giving him the gumption to move forward. So in Superboy's body, Lex didn't really like the news of Superboy's escape and blew the TV over. You know, why use the remote when you can just blow it over onto its back? 
Except now, if you want to watch something else, you have to get up and lift it, which is not helpful. Of course, knowing Lex is, I would, he'll just send Darla to do it. So Lex is uh, enjoying Superboy's suffering and says, ah, let him suffer a little bit more. He'll hit it even more when he gets the chair. It'll be even sweeter for Lex. So now Lana shows up uh, looking uh, sexy for dinner, and uh, Lex just unceremoniously sends Darla to the other room. And uh, she's unhappy, but she goes. And Superboy comes out with kryptonite, and uh, Lex just heat visions the box shut. You would think uh, Superboy could have uh, had the kryptonite at the ready, but he did not. But I do wonder if that was the intent. Maybe there was no kryptonite in there at all. So what eventually happens is Lex has Superboy arrested, and Superboy is strapped to the electric chair, remember, in Lex's body. So now uh, they're asking who they think is Superboy to throw the switch, and Lex is doing a good job here pretending to have Superboy's morals. And, you know, I was sent to the trap here right away for no other reason than the episode time is starting to dwindle. You know, you can, I can always see it on the status bar as I'm watching the episode on DC Universe that the uh, we're barreling toward the conclusion. And uh, there is an ace in the hole as Lana recorded the conversation where Lex confessed to switching them, switching bodies, and uh, maybe killing the land too. But definitely uh, on the tape, uh, it's confirmed that only the three of them knew about, well, the four of them, if you count Darla, knew about the uh, body swap between Superboy and Lex. But apparently something was done to the electric chair to uh, wire it for, so that it would uh, switch Superboy and Lex back to their proper bodies. And Lex has an absolute meltdown when he realizes he's back in his body and they're gonna have to re fix the electric chair back to normal operation so lux gets to uh go into his uh prison cell and kind of stew until it's time for him to face the chair and this episode ends with a lot of trash talk between superboy and lex and i love it it almost reminds me of uh the moment between at the end of x-men between patrick stewart's professor x and magneto you know, a little bit of trash talk as it ends where Lex promises that he'll be out to to kill Superboy. Superboy basically says, yeah, well, you better hurry up because you're going to die soon, brother. He may not be willing to pull the trigger, but he will respect the death penalty. Like I said, I just love trash talking Superboy. So this was a good episode, and like I said, I enjoy these kind of switches. It's fun seeing the actors try to impersonate the performances of others, and I liked how they use the electric chair to reverse the, the personalities when Dr. Dr. DeLandon's uh, equipment was no longer usable. So, a very solid effort. Next time, Superboy will face the reality that he may have killed somebody in the two-part episode, Rebirth. Another highlight of uh, the series. Now, if you'd like to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your third feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.